Have you ever wondered why you're not making a podcast? Maybe because you think it's too hard. Well, if you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. First of all, it's free. And there's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will then distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. I mean, you're immediately in the podcast game. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So right now, download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Just go to A-N-C-H-O-R dot F-M and join me on Anchor. special presentation of Night Drift with Jim Perry. Subscribe to its new feed now, wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm Jim Perry, and you are listening to Night Drift. Uvamet's Week of Halloween, brought to you by Shudder, continues tonight when I'm joined by co-host Darcy Staniforth for a conversation with ghost investigator Matthew Jackson. Reminder, Night Drift has become its very own show and can now be found wherever you listen to podcasts. After this week, you'll need to subscribe to the Night Drift feed to continue catching new episodes. But tonight, we'll listen to EVP recordings and explore the haunted Midwest and South with Matthew Jackson. That's all right now on this edition of Night Drift during Euphemet's Week of Halloween. Matthew Jackson's efforts in the paranormal have been described as everything from philosophically tenderizing to an ectoplasmic knuckle sandwich, drawing on his unexplainable experiences, ethereal whispers in his ear, seeing an apparition stare him down, and having a glass of water chucked at his head by an unseen cookout guest. Matthew set out to gather data and to explore the connections of haunted history to haunted folklore, and delve into theological and spiritual concepts in hopes of developing an understanding. He has had the privilege of visiting famous haunted locations, Waverly Hills Sanitarium, Lizzie Borden Bed and Breakfast, etc., as an investigator and observer, but has been quoted as stating he'd investigate an abandoned outhouse in West Virginia if it had a good story tied to it. My man. <laughs> Matthew's passion concerning the unexplained led him to create paraholics.com. And tonight he joins us on Night Drift, presented by Euphemed. Matthew, welcome. Thank you so much. I've decided that through this whole COVID, you have finally reached the bottom of the paranormal barrel. And here I am. <laughs> I'm so happy to be here. I'm so excited. 
<laughs> oh, so great. A humble man indeed. Uh, of course, I want to introduce the audience to uh, my uh, co-host and, and really contributor for Night Drift, Darcy Staniforth. Darcy, thank you so much for joining us again. You're welcome. I'm so excited to be here again, Jim. So, Matthew, you have been so kind to share some EVPs with us, which I'm excited for us to listen to a little later. But first, are you coming to us from your home in Indiana tonight? Yes, I'm coming to you from Brown County, Indiana, in my cabin, my cabin in the woods. Very nice. Uh, very fitting. So you, um, a glass thrown at your head at a cookout. Can we just start yeah. there? <laughs> Absolutely. I, I had a friend. This was back before I was a, a paranormal investigator, so to speak. I, I really, at that point, this was back in 2003, and the paranormal really was not fully on my radar at that point. Uh, but a friend of mine bought a house, and he uh, jokingly told me, well, I thought it was a joke, that when he first bought the place, that uh, there had been some like smudging and cleansing rituals done at this place because the previous owners thought it was haunted. And my, my buddy was like a, a borderline agnostic atheist type of a guy. And he kind of laughed it off when he first bought the place. And within six months, he would tell me things like, oh, by the way, my house is haunted, which, you know, I, I just kind of laughed. Uh, but he was serious. And he would tell me about different things that would happen. And I would just listen, but I didn't really pay attention because, you know, he had adult ADD and I just thought it was part of him being quirky or whatever until, <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> until one night I was there and uh, it, it was the summer of 2003. And that's when Mars was really uh, bright in the sky and it was getting, you know, lots of publicity because of it. And he was a, uh, an amateur astronomer and he had a very nice telescope set up and he lived on this hilltop that overlooked this uh, precipice and just a beautiful uh, scene here in, in central Indiana. And he invited me over to look at Mars through his telescope. And so it was myself and there was another lady there and, and my friend, and we were just taking turns and we were, uh, we were not really conversing at all. We were kind of in awe of the stars and just how beautiful everything was. And we were just sure. kind of politely waiting our turns at the mic or at the mic, at the uh, telescope. And I'm standing there and the, and the lady that's there is beside me and he, her and I are not conversing whatsoever. And I had this big glass of water that I set down right behind me. And all of a sudden, uh, something whispered in my ear. And I, I thought it was the lady standing beside me. So I turned to her with, you know, excuse me, what did you say? And she had the same experience. She heard the whispering. It was like directly in between us. And she thought it was me. Hmm. So we basically turned each other at the same time with, you know, pardon me. And at that second, something took that glass of water and like punched it up in the air. And oh, it went wow. end over end and threw water all over both of us. Oh, and so my our. Gosh. Our moment of pardon me turned into what the fuck. Yeah. <laughs> and, and my buddy was across the deck looking through his telescope. He never even looked up. He just said, oh, that's just the ghost. That kind of shit happens all the time. <laughs> I was gone in five minutes. <laughs> scared me to death. I'm surprised you made it that long. <laughs> wow. Well, I was trying to be polite, you know, and. <laughs> I didn't yeah. get a towel. 
<laughs> right. Wow. Yeah. Do you have a towel? Can I wipe down real quick? Wow. Yeah. So, so, uh, you know, explain to me a little bit about, you, obviously when you have interactions like that, that does inform some people to try to find a broader understanding of what happens because something happens that goes, Hey, this changes my perspective on what reality could even be. When was it that you decided that you actually wanted to begin ghost hunting on yourself? Well, it was really kind of shortly after that moment because I, I took my buddy's claims, obviously, of his house being haunted a little bit more serious. And so after having some conversations, I, I found out that his house had been the scene of a homicide back in 1970. And so when I started thinking, okay, well, what would make a haunting? You know, how does, how does any of this work? And I find out that his home had been the scene of a murder. And what made it even more interesting is the guy who committed the murder was a good friend of my grandfather's. Oh and my God. It, yeah. And, and it's actually one of the biggest unsolved uh, murder mysteries in the state of Indiana. If anyone wants to look it up, it's the uh, Clarence Roberts murder mystery here in Indiana. And, and at, at the heart of the mystery, it's, not that whether or not Clarence Roberts committed this murder, but it really was who was the victim. The victim was never identified. It was a whole insurance fraud cover up. And, and ironically, almost 10 years to the day of the first murder, there was a, um, a, 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 f- a fire. The first, the first homicide was covered up with a fire where they tried to pass it off as Clarence Roberts, he and his wife. 10 years later, there was a second fire. And this time, they identified both of them as Clarence Roberts and his wife, but ultimately oh, no one ever solved who was the, the victim uh, of that <laughs> first murder. Oh my God. And so the thought of did the murder victim whisper in my ear and, and try to tell me something, was he telling me his name? You know, what, what was that moment all about? And if time's not linear on that side, I mean, did this guy know that I was Clarence Roberts, you know, best friend's grandson? You know, all these things started spinning in my head. And that's when I started to study. That's when I started to read. And and then to find out that there's actually a form, you know, a, a methodology to, you know, trying to explore those topics just really kind of sent me, you know, into uh, a, a spiral that has not stopped. Let's talk a little bit about, you know, unearthing or making connections with that level of history. Because where you're at, of course, in the region that you explore, the Midwest and then dipping into the South, how has the history and and events like the Civil War, slavery, you know, affect who and what you may be experiencing? As far as like uh, the South, uh, I recently was had the opportunity to go to Octagon Hall, which sits right on the Kentucky-Tennessee border. And that home was, um, the, the person who, um, who built the home, his name was, um, and what was his name? It was Andrew Jackson uh, Caldwell, and he was a slave owner. And he uh, was a, a sympathizer for the Confederacy. And shortly after the uh, Battle of Bowling Green, uh, a lot of uh, Confederate troops hung out around his, uh, his farm or his plantation. And um, it was also a makeshift hospital during some of the battles. Oh, and so 
that that location has been in, on a few of the paranormal, um, you know, the, the TV shows and so forth. And I got an invite to come down and check it out. And, you know, paranormal, uh, ghost hunting, all that aside, I wasn't expecting the impact. And I, I think the current political climate uh, really made it even hit me even uh, at a deeper level to mm -hmm. go there and and to see you know that home and that property and how beautiful it all was and then to go to the back of it and see the slave cemetery mm -hmm. and to know that this man you know owned I think ultimately like 62 slaves altogether and mm -hmm. just to piece all that and to be able to touch it and feel it uh, really wasn't impactful for me so uh, the history was definitely alive there. And, um, so that, that was, that was, uh, you know, historically speaking, probably the most profound location that I've ever gotten to be uh, a part of. And I wasn't there very long, but I, I I'll never forget it. Yeah. Darcy, it's that human side of things that really can uh, affect us the most during investigations like that, right? Oh yeah. Because I think, you know, one of the things that we're seeing as, as, the, as Matthew brought up, the political climate is as it is right now, and things are shifting, and old, old regiments and old belief systems are being torn down. Um, I think it has even more of an impact on us, right? And especially for us in this field, it's one of the things we have to think about is how we are looking at that history. Are we propagating the same kind of like oppressive narratives? Mm -hmm. Um, you know, one of the things I always think about when people are investigating things like plantations or any place where slavery was happening is like the whole idea of like, oh, that was his mistress. And it's like, she wasn't a mistress. She didn't have a choice in those things. Like you're talking about someone being sexually assaulted and, or, you know, coerced into sex or things like that. Right. And so it's like, we have to think about these kinds of things as we go into places like that. And I've actually seen some of the investigations at Octagon Hall because of the museum in there. Yeah. There is a lot, they feel that there's a lot of activity tied to some of the items that are displayed there mm -hmm. with that political climate. Is that anything that you experienced while you were there, Matthew? Um, you, you know, I, to me, it felt like uh, it was kind of shocking to go there and see all that history like right in my face. Mm -hmm. uh, but at the same time, the way it was presented, um, you know, I, maybe it's a perspective thing or maybe maybe it's the way that it's, it's actually displayed. It's really hard to say, but I didn't really feel like it was a celebration of, mm -hmm. of the South. I really felt like, um, you know, from my point of view, it, it really was kind of a, a sad thing. And, and I don't think it's something that probably should be like shelved and taken away as long as it's done properly, I think it really served as a, a, a good reminder of, of, of really, a, you know, one of the greatest traitorous, you know, uh, events in, in U.S. history. And I think, you know, if it's talked about in the right way, I, I, I think it's, a, it's important for those things to be there, um, you know, especially, um, you know, it's, it was, it's different than like a monument or something mm -hmm. like that. It would just be thrown up in a town. I mean, especially with, you know, the, it was actually touched by those slaves and those people and with their graves still being there. Um, it, it just, it made it really come alive to me. And it's just like, yeah. man, this really happened. And it was uh, the, the level of sadness that I experienced there 
uh, I almost felt like I had empathic abilities <laughs> because it was just touching me so deeply. I, I, I couldn't believe that, you know, everything that I read about, I mean, it was really, it was real and, and, and I could see it with my own eyes and actually touch it. Uh, so it, it was amazing to me. Um, and actually, I think it was a good thing that I was, I was there to experience it. Um, so. Yeah, I, I, th I think the thing with history and the challenge a lot of times for historians in connecting with like the general public is mm -hmm. being able to feel that connection and actually even place ourselves in history. Like, mm -hmm. oh, yeah. oh here now now this becomes tangible right because yeah. then you are seeing things you're not just reading about them in a book or noticing them on a television show or anything like that so i absolutely understand the power in that and i also wonder too even if you don't consider yourself empathic how much you're just feeling that energy of all of those years and all of the people that have also come in and been impacted by it and mm -hmm. the people that lived and died there too so that's yeah. that's fascinating to me. And I really I can't speak for like other groups. There have been so many people that have a paranormal interest beyond just the historical, you know, what their mindsets were or their approach when they, uh, you know, came onto those grounds. I almost once I saw it and really felt it and I saw how it made me feel, I almost did not want to participate in any type of paranormal investigation. Yeah, mm. To me, it almost felt like. You know, if I'm going to uh, come across uh, a spirit, especially one of uh, of like a slave, uh, it almost felt I, I, I didn't want to be in a position where I felt like I was exploiting anything. Mm. And the exploitation part of paranormal investigating always kind of like uh, haunts haunts my conscience a little bit. Mm. And so I, I try to be really, really careful. And I will say I um, I did catch a an evp there uh an evp saying like the most offensive uh racially charged word and you know for the the location i mean i i i guess for what that moment in history i guess it shouldn't be surprising but it just also served as another gut punch to where i was and what that place represented you know so jesus it, it was it was intense you know, when you're in these places, it, it really is, you know, and I've seen this with your work. It's, it's, it's like old wounds being peeled back open in some way. Mm -hmm. And it's almost as if there, there really is a di direct comparison to what we can learn from history as it itself is a ghost mm -hmm. in, in some way that's still haunting. Right. Yeah. And, and it's yeah. so, it, it, it's so important, I think, to maybe realize that by being out in the field. And I, I think you do that really brilliantly. You know, I, you mentioned EVPs and I wonder if we could, we could talk about, you know, this, this technology that you use often. Mm -hmm. I, you know, I, I watch your work and you use such a wide array of, you know, just plainly really cool looking devices that, yeah obviously have provided you with uh, some evidence and, and some incredible stories. But first, mm -hmm. can you explain a little bit about ITC and about EVPs and how that process, you know, how we think that works? Um, well, you know, it's every, everything is kind of hypothetical and experimental. And there's a lot of people who, you know, dismiss a lot of different, uh, branches of itc work that's true uh, it's very controversial right 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And when I first started trying to find my way into uh, paranormal investigating, I, I really would try any anything. I would try any type of product, any type of meter. Uh, I was throwing all these noodles at a wall just to see <laughs> what would stick. And I, I was really shocked, um, especially in, in the realm of ITC, which ITC stands for Instrumental Transcommunication, and that's basically using any type of uh, device per se uh, to, um, you know, commune with uh, spirits, allegedly, or aliens, or, you know, whatever ultra-terrestrial brand or flavor that you're, you're looking for, you know? <laughs> yeah. uh, I think intention plays so much into this, but we, we can talk about that later, but um, so you know, reading about when the, the ghost box phenomena first started with like Frank Sumption, uh, I was skeptical. And, you know, here I am several years later, and I'm still incredibly skeptical on exactly what it is I'm, I'm working with and what it is that I'm doing. But I still can't deny that when I'm working with some of these devices, I seem to have a, a great ability uh, and a great connection to receive messages that I, I cannot completely dismiss all the time as um, just like radio, um, radio sounds and, and pareidolia. So um, I, you know, I, I kind of gave up on the idea of evidence and, and trying to collect evidence as like, that's the, 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 the end game. Uh, I, I really, at this point, I, I just kind of, I want to immerse myself in just like, you know, weird moments and, and yeah. things that I just can't explain. I'm, I'm kind of over trying to explain any of this. Uh, yeah. I, I'm just more interested in what it possibly means and, you know, how it affects me and, and, and the way that it's kind of forced me to reevaluate some things that I thought that I knew. And as soon as I, I kind of embraced, I'm a moron. I mean, I really don't know. <laughs> as, soon, as soon as I, I kind of was like, okay with that. And instead of thinking that I had to be some paranormal expert, because it, even the experts that I, re, I was listening to, uh, they were not giving like, you know, satisfactory, you know, answers and explanations for every, everything that was going on. So when I first started experimenting with uh, ghost boxes at first, you know, I got a couple random names and it's like, okay, well, I can probably chuck that off to just just my ears and, 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 the you know, radio chatter or whatever. But the deeper I got into it and I started experimenting with different types of boxes and builds and developed relationships with some of the, uh, the builders out there and kind of listened to their theories and, and things that they were trying to do, uh, things that they're trying to do to challenge, uh, that type of, of the device and technology to make it harder to dismiss, and not that it's an, uh, an ultimate, um, an ultimate, you know, proof of anything, but still harder to dismiss. And when you look at the weight of anything that anybody basically presents in the realm of like data uh, presented for, you know, paranormal evidence, uh, it really all is pretty flim flammy. It, 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 especially in, in, in the, the eyes of like science or whatever, I mean, you, none of it really holds that much weight. So what are we fighting over, you know, <laughs> in, in the paranormal field? And, and so, uh, you know, I just, you know, I, I don't even really want to ghost hunt anymore per se. I, I just want to do yeah, weird ITC experiments and explore history and, and get to know awesome people. So, yeah. and because of that, and because of my hesitancy to 
think that I'm some sort of, you know, paranormal guru or a, a, a spirit fixer or anything like that. I, I've always been very reluctant to take on like residential cases, uh, things like that, simply out of, you know, respect and not wanting to, you know, lead someone down a, uh, an incredible narrative. Uh, but ultimately something that I think if it was all true, it's obviously above my pay grade. You know? <laughs> so, <laughs> it's, it's, yeah. So yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. I mean, but I think that's a really important thing to think about is your responsibility in this. Right. And like you had yeah. touched on a little bit intention, right? Because mm-hmm. if you, Number one, what I'm hearing is we can't join your cult anytime soon, which, okay, fine. Um, but, uh, you know, at the same time, like, you're, you're like, this is what I want to do. Explore history, do these experiments, have these experiences, right, and see what comes of this. And I'm with you. I'm, I'm leery of any paranormal expert that's like, I have all the answers. It's like, yeah. None of us have all the answers, but no. I think part of where the fight comes from is we love binaries. We love binaries. So it's either it's all spiritual and fantastical or it's all scientific. Mm-hmm. Or maybe it's a little bit of both. Or maybe it's things right. we can't explain. They just, I mean, we just heard crazy news today about Venus, right? I saw that. We've been yeah. all like hypothesizing maybe for years and centuries, and now it's like, well, well maybe so, right? And so. Yeah. I think that keeping that almost like, uh, I don't want to say play, because I know you take it seriously, and especially mm-hmm. with your continual investigation of these electronic devices. And I love that these these folks that are creating them are like, no, 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 we want to make this as irrefutable as possible. That's important, yeah. because it means they're doing the work on their end. But like you said, to not go in to someone's home and be like, hello, I'm Matthew, I've come to remedy all of your ills like because that is not only messing with narratives that's also messing with like people's like whole live lives like their livelihoods yeah. their lives and that can really there can be a lot of damage done yeah yeah i i um i have a video on my channel uh, it's called dear john a haunted reckoning and that is like one of the few residential cases that um i got pulled into and it kind of spanned over, you know, almost four years uh, off and on trying to work with this guy. And it was always just like a fine line with, yeah, I think there's something going on, uh, something that I can't explain, but it was also apparent that, you know, this guy kind of had his own, you know, issues and in his personal life. And it's like, I, you know, the responsibility and the weight on this, you know, especially you know, we meet a lot of people that have mental health problems and, you know, to try to come in and think that I'm going to take care of it because uh, Casper's in your attic. I got this. Not, not good. You know, I, I feel, I feel enough responsibility. I love Jim's laugh. I feel enough responsibility just towards like the, the people I can't see, let alone, you know, somebody standing right in front of me. And so I, I've always taken that very, very, very serious. Well, you know what I what what I'm also hearing is that because of because you value spoken word, because you are a poet, you are a storyteller, and this space that you're now gravitating uh, gravitating towards is less evidence based, but much more storytelling, much more encapsulating what that human relationship is to it. So, 
yeah, that's my out in this as well. (laughs) (laughs) Paying attention to the experience of it and, and uh, delving into it and and not really trying to solve anything and, and just trying to be a filter for these stories. Yeah, because I I, I've, I find it interesting because I, I, I do put myself in these uh, situations and in these environments, but I've always kind of imagined myself as like this wartime reporter. Like mm-hmm. I'm there, but I'm just a little detached and I'm kind of observing, I'm making my notes and, you know, letting things happen as they come. Uh, but when something comes and like directly like uh, focuses on me and all of a sudden I become the center of it, it's like, well, hold on. <laughs> And uh, I've currently I've been dealing with a a situation for the past two years where I went into a a haunted location here in the state of Indiana. And it's one of those haunted locations. that's like if you Googled top 10 most haunted locations in your state, uh, this uh, one train tunnel here in Indiana pops up and it's called the big tunnel. It's like the biggest train tunnel in the state. In Tunnelton, right? (laughs) Yes, it is. Actually, that's the name of the town. Did you know this? Uh, I learned this by watching your video and laughed at that because I was like, oh, they named their town after the big tunnel. It's Tunnelton. Yeah, they, that was like the, the camp that they started while they were building the tunnel. And the first time I pulled into it, I was like, Tunnelton, are you freaking kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, anyway, there, there was a guy that was killed in this tunnel back in uh, like 1908. And I didn't know, I, I knew that the tu- tunnel was supposed to be haunted. And that's really about all the history I knew going into it. And anyway, ever since I left there, uh, for the past two years, every place that I've gone and I'm running my ITC experiments, regardless, I this name, Henry Dixon, has been consistently coming through my uh, my machines. And I, I got to where I was like, you know, uh, Henry Dixon, where did I meet you? And they would say, the big tunnel. And I also started getting these messages of like, I asked for help and you've ignored me. And I have, uh, you know, I've been trying to piece this together to make sense in my own head. Like this guy really thinks that I can help him. Uh, has, has he not seen me? Hello? (laughs) Why, why me? Because there, there has to have been so many people who have went to the tunnel and I'm sure they haven't done anything differently than what I've done. Why is this guy, is he with me? Or, you know, a lot of people theorize in ITC that you create like a, uh, like a contact field from all the different places, the different entities that you have uh, crossed. And so when you like come online, like through your devices, they can, you know, contact you kind of like Facebook messenger. So it's kind of like, are you here with me or are you just sensing that I'm available right now? And then I'll do little experiments like Henry, if you're with me, what color shirt do I have on? And, you know, he would tell me the color of the shirt. And so it's been kind of an ongoing struggle. And I actually feel like I had a breakthrough the other day concerning this whole situation. And not that I I've ever really believed in like, you know, spirit rescue so much or crossing over or, or anything like that, at least within my wheelhouse. Um, because it, it, I, I really, it gets into this theological wrestling and grappling thing I have going in my own head. But, um, sure. I, I, I did get this message from him that basically said that he wanted to be returned to her. Hmm. And so that made, led me to, uh, try to find out 
where his wife was buried. And it turns out that they actually were buried in the same cemetery. But, you know, I, I went there. And I, I, I haven't posted this yet, but I received all kinds of thank yous through some of my machines. And I don't know if, it's, if this is the end of the, the Henry Dixon story or not, but uh, it's something that has definitely gotten my attention. Like, this is something different. This is something yeah. that I, I need to try to figure out because I, I, I've just been baffled. And I, I make multiple references to this Henry Dixon for the past few years in my videos because it's like, this guy keeps popping up. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's somehow my fault, but, uh, um, yeah, it's been a very interesting uh, situation for me to try to wrap my head around. Wow. I can't even imagine, man. I mean, it's strange. this idea too, that like, um, there's a possibility that, that once you connect with something through the ITCs, that they're sort of trapped in the signal or that they have a beacon to where they can yeah. connect easily again is so fascinating. And what you're describing there is a beginning, middle, and end almost mm-hmm. of a relationship yeah. or communication with something. And right. if, if, we can, if we can believe for a second that energy is real and we can believe that there's something else going on and if we can believe that things like synchronicity perhaps mm-hmm. have some sort of, if not effect, value to what our right. own relationship is with the strange, then mm-hmm. there you have it, you know? Yeah. And so what's interesting about that to me is how does, how does that situation, that beginning, middle, end, those thank yous that started coming through, how, does, how did that make you feel? Well, something that I, I, I don't know, I haven't decided if I share on my blog or not, but I'll, I'll tell you guys because uh, I, know, I know how you can keep secret. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> one of the weirdest things... Uh, this is one of the strangest things that's ever happened to me in, in all my travels and all my journeys, all my locations. But when I pulled into that cemetery and it just so happens, like I said, the guy's name is Henry Dixon and he is buried in this uh, graveyard that surrounds the Dixon Chapel. And this is in very rural Indiana. So I had to drive probably about an hour and a half away from my house to, to get there. And anyway, when I pulled up into the, this, this country graveyard, and there, you know how a lot of graveyards and cemeteries, there's definitely like an older section, mm-hmm. uh, older section and a new section. And, and this, uh, the older section was just huge. I mean, it's a very old cemetery. And I pulled up and I started, I decided just to kind of take a lap and kind of get the lay of the land before I really started looking for his marker. And I'm checking the place out. And as I turned at one point, uh, straight ahead of me, probably about 30 yards, I knew where his grave was. Mm-hmm. And, and that was simply by this vibe and the sensation that shot through my body. And I, I walked up to it and I, I realized that I was right. I mean, there, there it was. And I just, man, the, 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 the wave of emotion that uh, went through me was greatly unexpected. And I just I took a moment of silence and put my hand on the marker and just stood there with my head down because it was just, I, I can't explain it, but it was, it was a powerful, powerful moment. And for me to know exactly, and this, I mean, there's probably over a thousand headstones in this, in this cemetery and for me to walk up and know exactly where his was, especially with it being around the Dixon chapel. I can't tell you how many Dixons were on that. And for me to walk up to his and um, it was unexplainable, absolutely unexplainable. And that's something that I can't prove, but it happened. It was a personal experience. 
And so that, that, yeah, I'm, I'm still kind of shook by it. That was just this past weekend. Wow. Thanks for sharing that. Have you with like the ITC equipment and Henry and this whole experience, have you been using the same like piece of equipment in the past couple of years when he's come up? No, no, he comes through different stuff. He, uh, he has been tenacious. He has been, that's what has made me feel that it was more than just, um, you know, a device that like he connected with in that whole contact field. Mm-hmm. Because originally when I first heard from him, it wasn't even through a box. It was just an EVP. And, mm-hmm. and when this name started coming through, like all my boxes, I was like, what is going on? You know, because by, by that time I'd done the research and I, I had heard the name Henry Dixon and I had the EVP that said Henry Dixon. And then when it just kept coming back, I was like, what is going on? So strange. Definitely one of the strangest twists. And speaking of, you know, synchronicities, I don't know, Jim, if you saw on my channel about uh, me getting into the old Knights of Pythias temple and uh, and coming across this this human skeleton. And then I get to uh, Henry Dixon's grave and there at the top of his headstone, he was a Knights of Pythias member. Crazy oh synchronicity. <laughs> Another thing just kicked me in the butt. <laughs> yeah, like you can't you can't write this stuff. You know what I mean? Nope. If you like wrote it, nope. people would be like, "Well, that's just too on the nose." People won't believe that. And that's that's how it right. displays itself. It's crazy and so fun. <laughs> it, it is fun. Now, my other follow up though, I've got to ask: Are he and his wife buried next to each other? No, no, they were not. But she never remarried. I thought that was interesting. Mm. And she was pregnant. She was pregnant when, um, when, she, when he died, when he was murdered. So he has a, a daughter that he never got to meet, which is the other really re- weird twist of this is the, the, the city that my business is in, which is two plus hours away from where any of this occurred, is where she was buried. And I, and I thought for a minute, maybe, maybe he wanted to go to his daughter's grave, you know, you know, maybe I should go there too, but I'm going to give it some time after the experience that I just had, but it just, so strange. Just one of the strangest twists ever. Wow. Holy shit, man. Thank you so much for sharing that. I I can't wait to see where it goes from here. Uh, And speaking of that, let's, let's jump into some audio. You've provided okay. some EVPs and some transmissions from ITC. And okay. which one would, uh, which one do you think we should start with? Um, let's do the Fox Hollow Farm uh, one, which is actually an EVP. Fox, are you guys familiar with Fox Hollow Farm? I'm not. Yeah, please describe. Uh, Fox Hollow Farm was the home of serial killer Herb Baumeister. Uh, he was murdering uh, gay men in the from the Indianapolis gay bar scene in the in the nineties, and a lot of people suspect that he was also the I seventy killer. Which there was a whole string of uh, murders tied to the Indianapolis gay bar scene of uh, mm-hmm. these men that were strangled and so forth that were just left strewn along Interstate I seventy between Indianapolis and Columbus, Ohio, Jesus. and then those murders stopped about the same time that this Herb Bauermeister, who, 
used to have business dealings in Columbus, Ohio. He bought this house in, on the north side of Indianapolis in a real affluent area. And there were a whole string of like disappearances still happening from the, the Indianapolis gay bar scene. And he, he, he was married. He was a, um, he's a, a very, he's a successful businessman. He would send his wife and kids away and he would go and to the bars downtown and, and pick up men using a false name. And he would try to target men who were not from Indianapolis, you know, guys that were like kind of transient passing through the area. And eventually he made the mistake of bringing a guy home that he found out was from Indianapolis. And he freaked out and he didn't kill this guy, but had a real weird moment with him and he let him go. And when the police really started like, you know, hanging around the gay bars and questioning people, trying to find any type of lead, this guy came forward with a story about the strange interaction he had with this one guy. And, and basically the police uh, were able to eventually get a license plate, which led to this uh, big house on the north side of Indianapolis. And they found uh, bones lots of bones in the woods and bones that were, he had a burn pile and he was grinding these men up and, and using their, um, their bones and his gravel and all kinds of Oof. weird things. Yeah. It was, it's a dark, dark story. And it's so unusual that the house of a serial killer would still be standing. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I got invited by some friends to uh, come and check out the house, which the, the owner of this house does not allow uh, paranormal investigations very often, but somehow I was fortunate enough to go and visit this location. And so the, the clip is actually, the story goes that they're in the master bathroom in the closet. There's a window that faced the burn pile where Herb would, uh, has the ghost of Herb has been seen allegedly uh, kind of admiring the view out of this hmm. window. And so I went in there and did an EVP session and the, the EVPs watch you'll hear that I caught in, in this closet. All right, here we go. Okay. Can you say who you are? So pretty plainly said killer. And uh, I reviewed the EVP uh, probably about 20 minutes or so after I, I caught it. And I was just like, okay, I can go home now. <laughs> uh, I'm going to play it one more time here. Okay. Wow. Okay. Can you say who you are? More EVPs and reaction right after this, here on Night Drift. Follow Night Drift with Jim Perry on Spotify and subscribe on Apple Podcasts to receive new episodes of Night Drift automatically and gain access to all of our past episodes. Shudder is going all out this year. With the 61 Days of Halloween, a two-month celebration of their favorite season, featuring weekly original and exclusive movie premieres, including one of my favorite films of the year, from our friends at Spectre Vision, H.P. Lovecraft's Color Out of Space, starring Nicolas Cage and featuring the return of the great director, Richard Stanley. Any of you listeners who lay in bed, sleeplessly pondering the works of John Keel, 
have to watch this film as it's the perfect complement to any podcast featuring tales of the Mothman and other monsters. And you can see it now on Shudder. Try Shudder free for 30 days. Just go to Shudder.com and use promo code Euphemet. That's S-H-U-D-D-E-R.com. Use the promo code Euphemet. You can stream great thrillers, horror, and suspense for $5.99 a month or $56.99 a year. And they have the largest, fastest-growing, human-curated selection of thrilling and dangerous entertainment. You can watch the Halloween films. You can watch the breakthrough scary-as-hell film Host, the exclusive series The Deadlands, or A Discovery of Witches. Shudder is really a unique collection, and I kept finding new shows and films. It's been my creepy companion all quarantine long, because you get unlimited access and stream ad-free on all your favorite devices. So I can watch on my laptop in the office or go out into the living room and watch it on Apple TV. And now... You can try Shudder for yourself. Try it for 30 days free and help support Euphemet while you do it. Just go to Shudder.com and use promo code Euphemet. S-H-U-D-D-E-R dot com. From the heart of Cascadia and the edge of the world, Euphemet presents Night Drift with Jim Perry. You know, when when you heard that back, yeah. what was your reaction? Is this the same device that, uh, you know, I have limited experience with this, but when it's picking up a signal, there's a little bit of a flashing light as well, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You, you, it, when, it's, uh, when it's flashing, it's listening. When it stays steady, it's actually recording. Yeah. And what was that like before you pressed play again and you saw that that light was going and it was picking up something? Well, I, I was hopeful. <laughs> yeah. I was hopeful that I actually recorded something strange. I just yeah. didn't expect something that rough, you know, yeah. uh, rough to hear. Yeah. And, 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 and there wasn't a, a, a uh, sense of remorse whatsoever to the tone of, of that. You know, you know, Herb killed himself before the authorities ever had a chance to ever try to bring him to justice. And so the thought that, uh, you know, he could still be kind of wandering you know, that property. And, and then a lot of the paranormal stories actually revolve some of the victims. I'm like, well, how tragic if, if ghosts are real to be stuck in a property where you were murdered with your killer. Oh man. That, that's horrible. That is, Ugh. that is absolutely horrible. And, and that's where the theological side of me just starts beating yeah. stuff up, you know? And, uh, but yeah, that's, um, I, I can't prove any of it. You know, I, I can't say what's real and what's not, but I do know I recorded that and I recorded some very graphic um, ghost box res- responses in, in the house and also in the woods. And uh, Henry Dixon came through there as well. And I know that Henry Dixon had absolutely nothing to do with Fox Hollow Farm. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Wow. I mean, I, I couldn't imagine the people that are, is it currently you know, lived in at this moment? Yeah, it's a private residence. I, I couldn't imagine living in a place like that, honestly. Yeah. That type it, of energy. Uh, the, the, the real, the funny thing about it is the, the gentleman who, uh, who owns it now, and I, I can say this because it's been, it's been on TV. Uh, his name is Rob Graves. <laughs> wow. Sure. Of course it is. Sure it is. Of course of, it is. Of course. And he, he actually, he was an extremely, extremely cool guy. He had like 
a, uh, a binder of all the police reports and everything that, that the police shared with him about the history of his home before he ever bought it. And, you know, uh, he doesn't believe that his house is haunted. He doesn't believe in the paranormal, the paranormal and paranormal activity. So he's okay with people coming and kind of entertaining that side of it. But I think he would probably go crazy if yeah. he, he sat there and really contemplated about what happened there. So yeah. maybe it's a safety mechanism. It's a yeah, it seems like it. Yeah. yeah. Keep grounded as much as possible over on that other side. If you have to live with it. Right. Yeah. Um, wh- which, uh, which one would you like for us to play now? Uh, you gotta see the Pythias. Are you part of the temple, the Catholic Church, or the cemetery, or the skeleton, or the skeleton? What kind of temple is this? Oh my god. <laughs> okay. So when I was in the Knights of Pythias temple, I, I was asking, uh, the, the history of that area is just crazy. Um, it was actually developed on an old Catholic cemetery that allegedly all the graves had been moved. And then later they uh, built, um, you know, of course, all these buildings there. And that's where this temple was. And um, the uh, Knights of Pythias used real human skeletons as part of their old rituals. And so I'm actually up there and the device I'm using is a reverse speech box. So it actually, it it works like a ghost box. It's sweeping AM radio frequencies at a a fast rate, but there's like a 10 second delay where the audio or the signals that are being fed into the box actually get reversed. And then it comes out through the speaker. Hmm. So anything that you hear from the radio should be just reversed weird sounds that you really can't make anything out of, but anything that comes forward in forward speech is kind of an attention getter. And, and so for me to say, you know, I'm, I'm trying to do this, you know, general question, like, you know, are, are you here because of the cemetery that used to be here or are you here due to the, the Knights of Pythias or, or are you connected to the skeleton? You know, I'm trying to piece it all out and for it to say the temple, then I ask what kind of temple and it plainly says Apiphius. Uh, so it's, it's kind of hard to deny, you know, considering where I was and what I was doing, you know? So pretty well, wild. We're going to, we're going to play that one more time for folks. Okay. Are you part of the temple, the Catholic church, or the cemetery, or the skeleton, or the skeleton? That's the temple. What kind of temple was this? Apiphius. Yeah, he's, it's so just like, of course, it's Apiphius. Yeah. Hello. <laughs> Did you not, do you not know where you are? Excuse me. Yeah. The the wild thing about that is um, after that session, uh, they gave me the skeleton. No. Yeah. What? How does that, yeah. how does that work? Well, <laughs> it it makes for an awkward dinner conversation with your wife. That's how that works. <laughs> I can imagine. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I've actually known about that skeleton up in that space for about 11 years. And it, it's always bothered me that the skeleton was up in the space and to know that that was somebody's loved one that eventually wound up somehow being used as a prop for this secret society. And uh, it, it's, it's always made me wonder, you know, how, those skeletons were acquired. I just always had a lot of questions. 
And so 11 years later, when a friend of mine has bought that building and, you know, the Knights of Pythias is a group that's kind of like faded away. There's not, there's not as many left anymore and none in our local area. And when, is it, is it um, similar to sort of the Masons or, or just any of these sort of fraternal lodges? Exactly. Masons, uh, odd fellows, okay. um, kind of in that same vein. And they so, tell um, themselves as the oldest fraternal order in the United States recognized by Congress. Uh, the Pythias, yeah. Mm-hmm. And they, um, but all the, the local members have basically kind of died off or gotten too old to like make the climb up the staircase to where this lodge or hall was. And so it basically been sitting, sitting there forever. And when a friend of mine bought the building, you know, he basically was like, what do I do with this stuff? And he actually found a, a small group of these guys that still meet in the state of Indiana. And he's like, Hey, do you guys want any of this stuff? And I guess a couple guys came down with a van and they loaded some of the items away, but they left the skeleton. And I'm like, uh, hello, if you're a secret society and if you have one secret you're supposed to keep, I think it's the skeleton in the closet. You want to keep that secret, but no, they left it. And, you know, of course, I don't know if I should be offended or honored that he actually thought of me as some sort of resolution for the skeleton, but he's like, (laughs) what do I do with it? I was like, I'll tell you what you do with it. You let me come over and do some ITC experiments and then I take it. <laughs> and, and, but I, I couldn't bear the fact of, I mean, I had the feeling that maybe it was heading towards a dumpster and, and there's just that side of me. It's like, I have to find some way of paying this poor thing tribute. Yeah. And, and so ironically from my adventure at Fox Hall farm and, and talking to Mr. Graves uh, he still to this day will find human bones scattered uh, on his acreage. Oh. And he told me about this relationship that he developed with the University of Indianapolis. So I haven't had this, the skeleton for very long, uh, but I've made contact with the, the University of Indianapolis and their forensic department. And my plan is I'm going to donate the skeleton and they're going to curate it for me. And they said that they would do a full study and at least be able to determine, you know, its age and race and sex. And there might even be some other telltale markers there. But, you know, they, they kind of doubt. I bet this thing is about 100 years old. Um, they really doubt there's any viable DNA to be able to, you know, trace down like descendants, but you know, I'm still hopeful. And so I hope to give that poor person at least somewhat of a a respectable, you know, conclusion, you know? Yeah. Um, well done, man. Is it in the cabin now? (laughs) Oh, This is a you've met first. This is a you've met first. Yeah. For those that are uh, just listening on the feed, yeah, you'll have to be a patron member to see Matthew Jackson holding up, (laughs) holding up the bones right now. There's the skull looking at us. Yeah. It's unfortunately, I think the uh, the lodge had been broken into a few times over the past couple years, and I think somebody tried to remove the head of the, the skeleton. So the, the skull itself, I found in about five fragments. Oh, so wow. I, I, I have it in a protective case. And um, so uh, I'm going to let the, uh, the university put the pieces all back together. Yeah. Yeah. To discover it's the bones of Henry Dixon. That's what I was just thinking. <laughs> <laughs> like, what if this is Henry Dixon? <laughs> 
<laughs> well, if, if so, Henry was a very, very, very small man. And, you know, and it's interesting you say that, though, because the, the supply companies and my research I've done, the supply companies that um, would get these bones and provide them to secret societies and to medical schools and so forth, uh, a, a lot of these poor people were just poor people that mm-hmm. they no one claimed them after they died and they were just their bodies were given away to be made into articulated skeletons which is yeah. super sad but then there was also the the grave robbing aspect of that whole thing it's a really weird part of american history that not many yeah. people know about yeah. and so i'm i'm hoping to kind of bring that to the light a little bit more just because it's interesting and, and disturbing these are those tangential stories from the paranormal that are so closely tied to it that I feel like a person like you can definitely bring the light. Of. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And again, that human aspect of it. Um, let's listen mm-hmm. to one more here. Um, let, let's listen to the snake one first, if you okay. don't mind. Sure. Okay. So there is a, uh, um, a cemetery, another haunted cemetery in the state of Indiana called Step Cemetery. And uh, a lot of people, there's all kinds of ghost folklore uh, surrounding the cemetery and a lot of it's made up and it all seems to be centered around one particular grave, which just says baby Lester. And, but when you look into the story, it was just, I mean, he was a, a newborn that passed away and all this made up stuff has like been built around this poor, this poor infant's death. And, but the really weird, weird part of this, the, the cemetery, the, the history of it is just fantastic is in the early 1900s, there was a religious cult in this area. It was a Christian sect led by this man by the name of William Crabb, and he called his followers Crabites. Mm. And they would, they would meet in Step Cemetery, and they would perform uh, weird sex rituals and animal sacrifices and snake handling and all these really, really strange things. So I'm like, well, if anything is going to be a beacon for bringing in anything, you know, odd and, and, yeah. and paranormal and otherworldly to this location, it had to be those guys. Right. And so th- that clip is me um, using the uh, reverse speech box again and uh, someone asking me to help. And I'm, I'm trying to figure out how I can help. And then I think you'll hear, you'll hear the response that say, gather them. And I ask how, and they say, with a snake. <laughs> All right, here we go. Help. You need help. help? Help you? How am I supposed to help you? Okay, we'll we'll play that. Uh, folks on the participants list here, patrons, uh, comment if if you can hear what's going on here, and and uh, yeah, just let us know what you're thinking here. We're gonna listen to that in its entirety one more time. Oh, fascinating. Okay, here we go. Help. You need help. help. Help you. How am I supposed to help you? How? 
help me gather them with the snake. With the snake. You, you know, I, I kind of, in my work in ITC, it's like I, I can't at this point just stop at uh, like a random word that seems relevant. I got to go for full phrases now. And and that's actually been kind of a strange development with my um, with my work over, over the time of being consistent with that type of a, de- of a device is it seems like the range of message has, has grown. I mean, it's been really, really uh, a cool, a cool process. So I, I hope to keep pushing that. Uh, Matthew has a question here, a patron. I can't really hear gather them, but what is the correlation between gathering and the subject again? Um, well, that's where the religious, the cult leader would meet and gather his, uh, the, the fellow crabites. There's a, a great illustration. I found a, an article that's like from 1907 or something like that, or, um, yeah, night. Yeah. Anyway, the Indianapolis star where, uh, the, the article's called freak religions in Indiana <laughs> and they list the crabites and the, the picture, the drawing they have of William Crab, he's standing there holding a serpent. Wow. So just, yeah, very strange. It's so unreal. The amount of crazy history down there is just insane. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I've only been really... down the few, uh, been down there a few times, but more than I thought I would in the process of doing Euphemet because the place would keep pulling me back with its stories and history. It's insane. Yeah, yeah it really is. And then the next one uh, is also in Step Cemetery. The one that says Crabites. And I was there recently with a, a very experimental ITC device that is the called the Orion ITC Talker. And what's really unique about it is it, it's not a radio at all. It actually is a phonetic generator. So it takes allophones and phonetics and just shoots them out randomly. And, you know, I, I seriously had doubts. I've never worked with a device like that before. I really had doubts on whether I would get anything or have any results. So I took it to Step Cemetery and I just kept asking the same questions over and over and over and over simply because I felt like if I heard an intelligent response, I would recognize it. And I I actually had to get help. I got help from my buddy over in England with the Dark Country Project because he's more familiar with phonemes to help me review this audio. And so I asked about the Crabites and uh, the response was pretty shocking, I felt. So uh, you guys will have to listen and tell me what you think. Any crabites here? Okay. Wow. Okay. Let's let's break that down for folks. What 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 we feel we hear in this? Uh, we'll play this section just at first and then we'll stop and then we'll, we'll so what are we hearing there i believe this is a section that says uh, crabites kill people yeah and then here we believe we say they killed a <laughs> lot of people yeah so let's 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 hear this here not to like influence everyone what you should be listening to because of course like uh, you know you can be subject to impressions um but this is just what we feel we hear from this because i agree with matthew 
what he what what he's found here. All right, I'll play this section. <laughs> I I can't explain it. I, that's that's what uh, I heard. That's what you know. Aunt over in England heard, and you know it's it's kind of unfair to say, hey, this is a response. But if if you know, I gave you the file and you put it up against the the thirty minutes of of the the an entire audio, right. and just to hear gibberish the whole time and not be able to make out a thing. And then to get something that sounds so distinctly different compared to everything else that you heard in the audio, it does make it jump out. Uh, but I have to say, I mean, listening to that type of device, I mean, it really was a strain. It kind of gave me a little bit of a, a headache initially to like really kind of adjust my my, my brain to it. But yeah, um, yeah it was it was kind of shocking and and you know crab bites. I mean. <laughs> outside of like one health clinic uh i mean who says crab bites right right it's that doctor making jokes again and you're like stop stop joking about it um, you're not it funny it's just oh, so bad right well you know anyone involved uh, seriously in sound mixing, whether that's, you know, through audio, like podcasting or music are familiar with sonics. They're familiar with sonic and the sonic nature of, uh, uh, of sound will, you know, really, it, it's like a record scratch, right? right? It happens to me all the time when I'm editing you from that. I'll be sitting there and I'll be sort of, you know, I'll do, I'll, I'll do a, a last minute check on a lot of things where I've already edited it. And I'll play it in the background while I'm doing something else. And if something pops up, I'll, I'll know immediately without even really paying attention. And I assume when you're going through this tape, that's very similar. The, the, yep. the patterns, the repetitions, they become almost a noise. And then when there is something that is, that is actually responding, that is, as you said, like a full statement, those things really jump out at you after all that listening to, to noise. Yeah, exactly. And, and, you know, and that's the thing that's so unfair about, you know, especially like my YouTube presentations is people don't really see the amount of uh, labor and deliberation that went through every response pretty painstakingly and the amount of stuff that got thrown out there. There have been times I wish maybe I should just throw up an entire clip. So when I think that I hear something that maybe I don't seem quite as insane because they would hear how much nothing that I actually heard, yeah. uh, you know, next to it, you know, right. but you know, people's attention span are about like this. So, yeah. you know, I, I just, you know, ultimately I think I, I just keep trying to do this for myself just to keep myself in check to know that I'm not completely insane yet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. yeah. yeah Matthew. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Baby steps. <laughs> I think you're right though, because I, I mean, same thing after being in radio for a number of years, like things pop out and I've had EVPs the same thing. You're just listening along and then you're like, uh, uh, hold on. And you go back. And a lot of people don't realize how much downtime there is with investigation and how much is yeah. like, it's about listening back because you do do so much editing on the podcast for videos, things like that. And uh, mm -hmm. investigation is a lot more downtime than it is go time. Right. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. It's a, it's a, it's fishing. Right. I mean, it's, it kind of <laughs> is. Yeah. 
I, I try not to have any expectation and that really, really helps, you know, and that's also helps with my intentions, you know, uh, I, I think when I go in and I'm just completely open, like a blank slate. Um, and so I, I don't have like a preconceived idea of what I think is going to happen. And, and the amount of times where nothing does, you know, uh, so it's really hard for, you know, a lot of skeptics and critics to look at, you know, somebody's, uh, you know, what they present and, and truly get the full, full range of, of everything that was, that was put into it. You know, it just, you know, looks kind of flashy in a, in a 30 second clip or whatever, but there's a heck of a lot more to it, especially when someone named Henry Dixon, you know, harasses you for two years and keeps, you know, asking, why are you ignoring me? (laughs) (laughs) Let's, uh, let's listen to one more here. Actually, before we get to the clip, let's go to Heather uh, tonight's clips are some of the clearest recordings I've heard. Some purported EVPs on popular ghost hunting shows seem to be a real stretch, but I could really hear these. Thank you. Um, and like I say at the beginning of all of my videos, wear your damn headphones. <laughs> I think wearing damn headphones is very important when it comes to, you know, even listening to, uh, you know, those types of recordings on online. So it uh, makes a world of difference. Yeah. All right. Uh, we're going to listen to Hop Hatch Liberty now. Yeah. Uh, any preamble for that? Yeah, this one is, is great. And the only reason I included it is because I just find it so ironic because I, I was walking around a different cemetery with my reverse speech box. And I was just kind of like walking around the cemetery, like, you know, trying to find a place to kind of, you know, stop. But the box is running and something says my name. And, and then another voice, and I, do, I don't acknowledge it because I'm just kind of walking around, you know, not really listening to the box at the moment. And then there's a, uh, a voice that I think it says something along the lines of, I don't think he heard me, okay. <laughs> so, which is kind of funny <laughs> because I wasn't acknowledging it at the time. I wasn't really listening. So in my review, I was like, wow, that's pretty impressive, especially a full clear sentence in reverse speech. So you guys can check it out. All right. Here we go. Can you say hello? I don't think you heard me. Yeah. <laughs> and and if you listen right at the first, I'm going to play it one more time. At the very first, it appears they say Matthew. Yeah. You go on. And, and so you don't acknowledge. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, it's kind of like, hey, dumbass, I'm talking to you right, talking to you right now. <laughs> All right, here we go. There was Matthew. Can you say hello? I don't feel he heard me. It's <laughs> great. You're not listening. I said your no. name. I know. I, oh. <laughs> I'm really a sad sack, honestly. <laughs> you see why Henry's been so pissed? Right. <laughs> I can, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I can, a lot of things are making sense now. Hey, yeah. so everyone, you know, I should have said at the very first of the program, and I'll probably edit it into the podcast version now, please wear your headphones. So if you haven't, go back and listen to these with headphones or go on to Matthew's YouTube channel. Which is Matthew? 
uh, everything's linked to my blog at uh, paraholics.com. Fantastic. You can go there and listen to these as well. Are you okay to stay for a few more minutes? Yeah, sure. I'm great. Fantastic. I, I was wondering if you could just, you, you know, none of this is easy. Uh, this work, the reactions to it, how it seemingly becomes very personal very quickly. I mean, you know, there, there, there's an impression that, that certain spirits are now, you know, following you or um, incensed because you're not paying attention to them. Yeah. You also call this an addiction, mm-hmm. right? How, how do you feel this addiction has affected your relationship with friends and family and perhaps your old life? Well, I think a, a lot of people just want to dismiss it as just a weird fascination. Uh, a lot of people have, I think, a real struggle trying to um, face anything that makes them look at their own mortality or uh, anything existential. I think so many people get, um, they, they fill their, their time and their moments by just distractions without mm-hmm. ever stopping to think about, you know, the meaning of, of what this ride is or the potentials or the things that we don't know about it. So I think that their addictions uh, are just different than mine, where, mm-hmm. where mine has been more focused on, you know, the ability to wonder. And I, I think that is the one thing that distinctly makes humans different from any other creature on this planet is our ability to question and to seek knowledge. And, you know, for certain people, there there's a certain, you know, thrill to that. Even if you don't find satisfactory, you know, answers or complete answers, just glimpses into things that just are uh, mind blowing uh, and, and that make you just contemplate, you know, why we're here or the potential of where we might be going or where we came from. Uh, I can't stop. And so that has been, I think, the, the addiction part of for me ultimately. And uh, so I'm 11, almost 12 years in. I haven't proven anything. Uh, And if anything, I've kind of become a little bit of an advocate of the thought that if you're on this path, it really shouldn't be a team sport. Uh, Because ultimately, a a team to me, uh, even even though there's, you know, a cool network that you can build, you know, teams compete against one another. And I I really don't think in, in lieu of, you know, respecting whatever it is that we might be encountering, um, and, and just dealing with each other and trying to help ourselves understand this, this path that we're on. Um, I, I just really wish that people would take time to um, um, change their perspective outside of maybe what they've learned from, you know, whatever Ghost Academy television show that they fed in their heads as far as like with their approach. I, mm-hmm. I think it could be a totally different, um, a totally different hobby, a totally different pursuit if, if their perspectives are just changed a little bit on it. So, um, well, it makes sense. Why do we never acknowledge that our perspective of the paranormal is influenced by the entertainment, right? That we take mm -hmm. in from television. We don't really, we give it credit for being an aspect, but we don't Mm -hmm. think about sort of the philosophical notions that we really get stuck on in terms of what's wrong about investigating or what's right. 
instead of uh-huh. putting in into its proper place within the construct of something much more fucking complex than what exactly. we can solve within an hour on television. Exactly. Yeah. And it, and it kind of goes back to the whole, like, you know, I don't want to be exploitive. And at what point, um, you know, the, are, are you kind of taking advantage of a possible sad situation uh, because of a, a tragedy or a sad history versus, you know, this is a phenomena that we can only observe and partially interact with. And it is what it is. So it's interesting and okay to observe it, but you really, you're not going to be able to influence it. If that makes sense, you know? Um, so it, it just, it kind of gets dicey when you start thinking about things outside of the, uh, the, the television screen. (laughs) (laughs) It does. Yeah. It's, it looks fun and cute. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Standing on the steps of chapel perilous, trying to look through the other side and going like, uh, that's dark in there. I don't know. Yeah. 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 Well, you, you also have this, um, you have a couple of really great quotes that I've heard a couple of times. And maybe it's because I've just watched some of the videos several times where you've, uh, uh, said it, but you know, you have a great quote, let your wonder light your wander, which is, listen, that resonates with me so much. You also have this quote, what you think you know is what you think you know is killing your human existence. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What does what does that mean to you? Because that's fascinating. Well, I, it, it kind of goes back to what we were talking before. Um, I, I you know, there's so many people that will run to uh, like what they were taught in, in, in church or what they were taught by their parents or, or whatever. And they find um, comfort in that. And a lot of people and, you know, some of my family and friends, they, they don't question, they don't wonder, they don't. Uh, it's like everything is like solved for them with this cute little bow on top. And, and to me, I just find that uh, I find it really sad. And, and I'm like, man, open the box, let it out. You know, it, it's okay to push and to ask questions and to press against things that you've been taught and those filters that have been put in your, in your mind. I remember years ago having a conversation with my son and he was studying like world religions in school. And he would ask me, you know, what, what do, what do Muslims believe? What do Jews believe? What do Christians believe? And, you know, I, being kind of a theological junkie, I had nice respect, respectable answers for all of his questions. And uh, when it came to Buddhism, he's like, what do Buddhists think? And I'm like, well, let me ask you a question. I said, what color is the grass? He goes, green. I said, what color is the sky? He goes, blue. I said, how do you know? And he goes, well, I guess you told me it was. I was like, well, what if I was wrong? What if, what if the, the grass is really blue and, and the sky's green? Just yeah. because somebody told you those things doesn't mean that that's the ultimate universal truth. So I think a lot of my pursuits in the paranormal come from that perspective. And I think it's healthy. I think it's exciting. And I think it just invigorates and stimulates our essence uh, to push the envelope a a little bit more. And as long as your intentions are right, and I think as long as your your, uh, frequency isn't to um, just heap fame upon yourself and you're just not trying to, you know, make a bunch of noise, I think it's okay, you know, and, and I, I think it's, uh, it, it's where I, I feel comfortable and, um, 
so I, I, I just keep, I just keep, you know, p- pushing forward with my work and my experiment and experiments and, and trying to network and, and meet other like-minded people and be able to share the share of these experiences and, and uh, try to make sense of it, you know? Yeah. Wow. That's awesome, man. Like, uh, thank you so much for being so, um, honest and wearing your heart and your sleeve with that shit, because it's, it's not always the easiest thing to talk about within the paranormal field. So I'm glad that we can sort of uh, create an outlet for folks to come on here and talk about, you know, how the paranormal is really, how it affects their belief system, how it affects their beliefs about themselves and their place in the world. Yeah. And it was really me being faced with, you know, the whole immortality of the soul issue that I told you earlier, uh, maybe even before we started recording, uh, the religion I was brought up in taught that when you're when you're dead, you're dead, and and then to have a you know an unseen force throw a glass of water at me, uh, I had some questions, you know. <laughs> as, <laughs> and, you do, and, as you do, as you do. So so the, the the paranormal has been a really a constructive tool to help me deconstruct some of the framework I, I had in my head as far as like you know how things possibly could work and what is the potential of, of, uh, you know, what, what's out there, you know? So to me, it's been, it's been a wonderful thing. Yeah. Well, best of luck with your continued adventures. When this lockdown ends, I'm headed your way, man. I'm 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 coming too, Jim. Yeah, please do. We're both going. (laughs) Yeah. I've I've threatened to eat my way through that region and it's, it's going to happen very soon. And, uh, you know, uh, it, with good company at that. So thank you so much hey, for coming on tonight, Drift. You're welcome anytime and keep up the good work, Jim. I can't tell you how much inspiration I've gotten from your show and, and how much sanity it's brought me and my insanity. So I, I appreciate you very much. <laughs> thank you so much, brother. That's high praise coming from you. Thank you so much, everybody. I hope everyone is breathing safely or at least about to breathe safely with all these wildfires. If you're in the way of the storm coming through, batten down the hatches and take care of yourself and your family. And Darcy, thank you so much for joining me again, my friend. It's always a you're pleasure. So, uh, this is fantastic tonight. Matthew, such a pleasure to meet you virtually. I look forward to meeting you in person. I would love that. Thank you so much. It was great meeting you as well. All right. Thank you, everybody. Stay safe. Love you. Take care. Thank you for listening to You've Met Week of Halloween. We'll be back tomorrow night with The Octopus and I, a brand new You've Met feature. All of this brought to you by Shudder. Thank you again to our guest, Matthew Jackson. Find links to his work, including those EVPs that we've listened to earlier in the show. Find all that in our show notes. Thanks, as always, to my co-host, Darcy Staniforth. To be a part of our next live Zoom interview, join us at patreon.com slash you've And remember, subscribe to Night Drift's new feed wherever you listen to podcasts. This edition has been edited by Kyle Gilmer of Residual Audio. For everything Night Drift and Euphemet, merch and links to our social media, visit euphemet.com. Thank you for listening. This is Jim Perry. I'll see you tomorrow night. Until next time, keep looking up. You can follow Night Drift with Jim Perry on Spotify and subscribe on Apple Podcasts to receive new episodes of Night Drift automatically and get